Um, good morning. Uh, um, so I, I love what Christy just said. These are familiar stories. Um, for me, as I studied through um, writing and preparing this lesson, the beauty of seeing it through new eyes um, was sweet for me in this preparation. So I hope today you'll take away something new and something different that you've seen in stories that I think most of us have heard preached on. We've studied them. We've read them. Um, but when I thought about our title this week, Messiah's Message, I, whoops, Christy, that went the wrong way. Okay. Um, when I thought about it, I thought we covered the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount, salt, light, prayer, miracles, parables. And I thought, oh, okay. All right, Lord, I'm not really sure where you want me to go with that. Um, and so as I did, as I continued to seek him and think about the, really what he taught me, I mean, don't most of us teach on something we feel like the Lord's impressed upon our heart or share what the Lord has impressed upon our heart. I realized this scripture that you may or may not have read at the beginning of the lesson, it was the key verse for the week, was Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that really sums it up. That sums up this announcement of the kingdom of God and takes us through this life of righteousness that we look at. Um, looked at in there. So I wanted to do that, just that. And I believe that in this, we'll see that from the wilderness to the righteousness, we'll see this progression. So I'm sort of backing up a little bit. I think we touched last week on Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness with the devil. So we're going to step back into that um, for just a little bit today. But two weeks ago, Christy posed this question. In the silence, is God absent or is he moving? I thought a lot about that question after she taught on it and what that silence looks like. Um, but I also wondered, sometimes I wonder, how did I get there? Did I do something to get there, Lord? Did you put me there? What was it that put us in this place? So I think we find um, something interesting as we look in Matthew 4.1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What if that's the answer we find? What if we find that answer that Jesus, that, excuse me, that the Lord led us into this wilderness, into this trial? Um, do we really understand that? Do we question it? Do we ask what we can learn from it? Um, Jesus goes into the wilderness and we see him in humanity and deity at that point, right? He is one in, the, in his humanity, he is also fully in his deity. And we saw him hunger and then we saw him fast. We saw him pray. We see these things in the wilderness. And I thought, do I do those? Do I recognize when I'm in the wilderness my need? And do I respond the same way that I see the Lord responds? So I think there are lessons that we can learn from this wilderness. And I want to look at them for just a minute. I'm going to read, the scripture won't be up here, but I'm going to read a little bit from that interaction with the, um, with the devil in the wilderness. It says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the devil came to him and he said, if, if, if you do this, Jesus. And what does Jesus respond with? He responds with the word, doesn't he? He responds in the truth of God's word. He goes back to Deuteronomy, the truth of the scriptures. And he says to him, speaks those scriptures to him. And that lesson for us is that we need to be grounded in that truth. 
We have to know the word. We have to be in the word. We have to study the word. We have to meditate on the word so that it becomes part of our being so that we can respond likewise. And then the devil says it took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, excuse me, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So again, Satan comes at Jesus with this if. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And what's Jesus' response? It's scripture again. It's back to the word. It's back to Deuteronomy. And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I find that interesting because I think he addresses sin there. Satan throws something at God, at Jesus, and Jesus responds with a command that we find in the Old Testament of something we are not to do. He addresses sin. And then the devil goes on, and it, he says it took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and you worship me. And Jesus' answer is a little bit different, isn't it? It's a little bit harsh. He says, be gone, depart, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And again, words from Deuteronomy that Jesus uses to rebuke the devil. And I see here that we need to have that same power. We need to use the same power that's been given to us in the word to rebuke the devil, to rebuke the presence of evil. That when we are tempted to worship anything but the one true God, that should be our response and it should be immediate. So we have to be confident to respond in truth, which means we have to know the truth. We have to be willing to address sin and we have to rebuke the devil when necessary. Those are bold things for us that we need to do, that we're called to do, and we have in this um, example from Jesus in the wilderness. So after this passage, we moved in this week, and we see Jesus um, leave that temptation in the desert. We see John is arrested. We see Jesus returns to Galilee. And at that point, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. And he, his first thing that he does is he introduces to us the kingdom of heaven, doesn't he? It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, through the Gospels, we'll see about 87 times that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which get used interchangeably, are presented. It is the primary focus of Jesus' ministry at this point, to the kingdom of heaven and for men to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Jesus talks more and more about that, we see more and more persecution. We see more and more anger towards, directed towards Jesus. We see the path that we know ultimately he will take to the cross because of what he is preaching and what he is teaching. So <clears throat> it starts here. In, in Matthew 18, 3, it also says, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I think we need to stop and think about those words. You know, sometimes we think about sweet little children and what we're saying to them, but he's talking to us. If we do not become like little children, if we do not come to the table hungry to learn from him, if we do not come to the table putting all things aside, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven. So my question for us is, who are those kingdom citizens? If he's talking about it so much through the Gospels, what is that? What does it mean to live as one? So we're going to move a little bit into the Sermon on the Mount. I thought, oh, we're going to dig into the Sermon on the Mount. And then I thought, oh, I think we're going to scratch the surface. <laughs> and there's, that's about all we can manage today. So that is what we're going to do. So I will probably not cover something in the Sermon on the Mount that you're hoping I was going to talk about today because 
it's impossible. <laughs> but I want to start with looking at just where it begins. And Matthew 5, 1 through 2 says, When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. I heard a teacher um, this past summer, actually, teach um, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, this is a Sunday night church service. This is not a seeker service. This is for the people that are coming back to dig into the world and to be discipled. In this scripture, it says, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. I know there were people in the crowd that were probably not his disciples yet. They were people that were curious, just like there always are. <laughs> and, and they learned from that. But these were teachings for his followers that he was getting ready to lay out. Um, there are also a lot of questions on, or a lot of opinions, I guess, and that was this one sermon? Was this multiple sermons? How is this different from the sermon on the plain that we see in Luke? I don't know the answers to those questions. I know what seems reasonable to me. Uh, the idea that rabbis would teach and then they would teach again and then they would teach again and that Jesus followed that model and that maybe this is a compilation of a lot of Jesus' teachings. Maybe that is accurate. I don't know. What I do know is that God saw in, um, he saw to put it in scripture like this for us. So he chose to put all this together and to go through these chapters. I feel like we often look at pieces of the Sermon on the Mountain. We look at the Beatitudes, and then we study the Lord's Prayer, and then we talk about not worrying, all these things. And we sort of do it like this at times. And there's beauty, and there's a lot to learn when we do it that way. But it's laid out for us from beginning to end. And so I want to take that approach to it this morning a little bit and see what maybe God has woven through it a little bit for us. So that's kind of where we're going to go um, in doing that, I'm not going to cover all of the Beatitudes. I'm just going to cover four of them. <laughs> so um, tell you in advance. But he does come to us, and I believe that he gives some descriptive elements of true repentance found in these four Beatitudes that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, so it doesn't mean that these elements don't show up in the other four. It's just that this is where I really felt like the Lord led me um, for us to land today, I guess. Um, and then the very first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. There was a question, um, maybe on day five, of maybe it was on, I don't know what day it was, but which one of the Beatitudes do you maybe struggle with the most? Um, I hope some of you, or all of you, stopped and just thought about that question a little bit. It was good for me to think about it, because that has changed probably at different times in my life, different ones of where I'm trusting and not trusting with the Lord. But um, because I think we can sometimes look at them very individually, which is not bad, but we can get fixated on one. Um, and I think looking at all of them and recognizing um, that this is like a diamond. You look at a diamond, it has lots of different facets. You look at it from different angles, you see different things. All of these beatitudes that are a description of the who, like your lesson talked about more than the what, I believe, but the who is Jesus. He is the perfect embodiment, right, of the Beatitudes. He is the perfect embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians. Uh, we are blessed, according to these scriptures, to be poor in spirit. And then we find out the gift of that. We are blessed, is what the Beatitudes are talking about, to mourn. And this is the gift on the other end. They don't all feel like blessings, I don't think, to us at times. But that is what we have in Christ as kingdom citizens, just like we have this fruit of the Spirit, these fruits of the Spirit, only because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And those are 
the fruits of his spirit that come out in us as we come to look more like Jesus. So as we start here, and blessed are the poor in spirit, what does poverty of spirit really require of us? And it really requires complete dependence on the Lord. Scripture is clear that when we repent and we believe, our faith is based solely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we must deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross. We have to follow him. But we do have to empty ourselves of ourselves because we cannot be dependent on ourselves, but only on Christ. And so we learn that what, what is it? What is the gift to the poor in spirit? And it is that theirs is the kingdom of God. That is who the kingdom of God is given to, those that are poor in spirit, those that have put complete dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next one that I want to talk about is blessed are the gentle or the humble or the meek. Um, Jesus, in Matthew 11, says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think those are very familiar verses to most of us, and we've probably all wrestled with them a little bit at some point in our life and what that means. Because the rest and giving the Lord's our, Lord our burdens is the easy part. But there's a yoke that we have to be attached to to have that. And that yoke brings other things. When we, I, I believe it brings other things. So this power, this power of being gentle and humble and meek that we see in Jesus is really power under control, yet very firm in conviction. Jesus was humble and he was meek, but he did not waver on his conviction, and he was very powerful. And just like our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the spiritual forces that are around us, we have to look to Jesus for that model, right? So we're not going to talk about the miracles, but we did see that his miracles were over nature, they were over healing, death, and then exorcism, or the removal of spirits, right? And so all of that, that's intense power. And yet Jesus did all that humbly and meekly and gently. And he never compromised truth. He was always compassionate and loving. Yet he spoke harsh words sometimes, specifically to those that, that were religious, that were in sin. And then he rebuked when necessary, but continually he offered mercy and grace just like he does to us. That is an amazing example for us to follow in what it means to be gentle and meek. And the scripture promises that we will inherit the earth. Now, we do not live in a world that typically associates gentleness and meekness with conquering and really is not often favorable to it at all, actually, I would say. Um, but isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Did he not conquer? He conquered death. He conquered the grave. Um, and the promise for us is that we will inherit the earth. At this, I look around and the earth does not feel inherited by believers at the moment. It feels chaotic. It is under the control and power of Satan. I recognize that God has given them him that for a time. But this promise is that he's not who gets it in the end. <laughs> and that we are still to to behave in this way, to be able to live in this way like Jesus lived. But it is not weak, it is meek. And there's a real big difference between being weak and being meek, in my opinion. And we have the provision to be bold in the name of Jesus. Now the next one I'm going to look at is pure and hard. I guess I would like to ask you, how is purity of heart possible when I am fallen and depraved? 
And it is only through a circumcised heart. It is only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 6, we're going to get into a little bit of Matthew 6 in just a minute, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. And it's going to address purity of heart and godly living. But a pure heart results ultimately in pure worship. And that is what we were created for, is it not? We were created to worship. And that's... um, When we come to that, we have to come with a pure heart. We want that offering to be an acceptable offering unto our Lord. All of these things can be a little overwhelming, I think. I think we can look and think, I cannot. I cannot do these things. And the reminder to us needs to be, that's right. We cannot do these things. (laughs) And that is where our dependence has to go back on the Lord. Um, If we could have done these things, Jesus would not have had to walk to the cross for us. And then the last one is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So this um, desire, this hunger for righteousness, I see it as an outpouring of these. A heart that is completely dependent upon the Lord, that is poor in spirit and complete dependence, one that tethers themselves to Jesus by the taking of his yoke, and is dependent upon the Holy Spirit for this purity of heart then finally those things, that is absolute and total satisfaction comes from God and God alone. And he tells us that with hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. That's a beautiful gift, that satisfaction in Jesus, right? There's a quote by J. Gresham Machen from Christianity and Liberalism that says, the Sermon on the Mount, like all the rest of the New Testament, really leads a man straight to the foot of the cross. Over and over and over again, we have to go back to that place. Now, that could feel overwhelming and defeating, but I think scripture is clear that it reminds us over and over again that we see dimly right now, don't we? And in Luke 6.40, that a pupil has to be fully trained before he can be like his teacher. And we are in a sanctification process. We come as kingdom citizens, and we have the benefits and the blessings of the kingdom, but God is still doing a work in us. So I said I was only going to cover four, so we're going to skip over the others. But I just want to make a few more comments through chapter five. More Beatitudes are covered, and then there's a lot of description. You filled out a chart, actually, um, about a lot of that description in your lesson this week. And a lot of it explains... Um, different facets of the Beatitudes or it addresses Old Testament um, law that they would have been believing in and here Jesus is bringing all these newfangled ideas, right? He is kind of shaking up the house a little bit and they're questioning things and he goes back and he goes into more detail on the rest of five and he explains some of those things. But then he takes a, a turn and when we move into chapter six, We have a chapter full of warnings and instructions and other things, but warnings and instructions. And it begins by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. And so there's a pause at this point, and I think we really have to check our hearts, don't we? We really have to look and look inward because our heart is deceitful above all else, is it not? And so we go back to that, um, we go back to the man. (laughs) We go back to ourselves. But... He teaches in here, after warning, beware of these things, he teaches on these four things, charity, prayer, forgiveness, and fasting. 
And these are all areas that we worship. All of these are a way that we come before the Lord and we worship him. And Jesus addresses each one. You know, in the midst of that, he teaches us how to pray. Um, He also talks about forgiveness in here. And there's just two verses um, outside of the Lord's Prayer. There's two verses in there about forgiveness. And, And at first glance, they kind of seem out of place to me. I feel like he's going along talking about all these things, giving instruction, telling us what to do in secret. He gives us the Lord's Prayer, and then boom, there's these two verses about me forgiving and me being forgiven. And if I don't, what happens? And I wrestled with those verses for a while, and I thought, Lord, why are they here? Why did you just drop them in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount? They seem a little out of place to me. Um, But I really feel like, as I looked at it in its totality, and I saw... You're instructing me and you're warning me. You're telling me to be careful, to check my heart in prayer and in fasting and in giving because it's only supposed to be for God. It is not supposed to be for men. And then all these other things and about worry later on. And I think the Lord realized I was going to need forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And I was going to have to offer forgiveness over and over and over and over again as I try to live out this righteous life. It was like a pause button to me. Oh, by the way, don't forget this, because it's essential to your walk. And so um, maybe I'll get to heaven. He'll tell me that's not why I put it there. (laughs) But for me, it was a check in my spirit that I had. this has to be in the background at all times as I walk out this Christian life, because it's the only way we live in community. Um, But from there... I, I, I think it is really neat how God um, talks about this verse right here. A man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart in these verses. So we know that verse. And in the midst of here, as we see God himself rewards in all of those areas, in the giving, in the fasting, in the prayer, it's just going back to, I'm the one that rewards here. It is not man. And man will always fail us anyway, won't they? And so in all these places, he reminds you of who's in charge and who is um, giving the good gifts, which is what he does. So again, he shifts right here into, I think, a very, very familiar passage. Um, I hope you will bear with me um, because it's a little bit long. And I think everybody knows it, and I shouldn't read it because you all know it. But I'm going to read it anyway. And it says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? So I think we know these verses, right? They're very familiar to us. We go to them, we claim them, we speak them to others. When we need to hear them or we know others need to hear them, to not worry, to depend upon the Lord, all of those things, all good. But do we stop and read the rest? 
And that's what I think is an interesting question, something to look at, because look at the rest. Do we stop and recognize that the worrying is the description of the Gentile and not the kingdom citizen? The rest of the scripture says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. They don't just seek them, they eagerly seek them. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided unto you. The first part of that in verse 32 says, your heavenly Father knows all that you need. He is your Jehovah Jireh. There is no question that he knows. He knows before you know. He knows before I know of what I need. So we don't have to worry about that. But, But what does he go back to? He goes back to where he started when he started his earthly ministry. He goes back to this kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The beauty of that full circle for me, of recognizing he starts here, he draws me to this. He recognizes my humanity in there and all my feelings, and that I need instructions. And yet at the end... He tells me, hunger and thirst for the righteousness, and I will bring satisfaction. And it is only in seeking righteousness, only in seeking righteousness, that we will find true satisfaction that leads to true contentment and full understanding of rest. And what I think, interestingly enough, is when we learn to do that, we even learn to rest in the wilderness. And so I think if we walk away with nothing else, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied Don't skip over that verse that we all know so well. We've all been taught it. We all believe it. But do we really? Do I really believe that I will be satisfied and I rest in that contentment of Lord Jesus Christ? Thanks. Are we singing? You just want me to pray? Okay. (laughs) I don't know if we're singing today. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you that every time we open it, it is new and fresh, it is living and active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. Father God, um, you know every day what we need before we need it. Lord, I know there are women in this room that are in a wilderness, maybe of their own making, maybe because you have placed them there. Lord, I pray that we will find you there. We will remember the lessons that we learn from you in the scripture of how to defeat the lies of Satan, how to speak truth, how to call out sin, and how to rebuke the evil that is around us, Lord. Father, let us live in that and sit in that and recognize the power that has been given to us because the Holy Spirit indwells us, Lord. Thank you for these teachings on the Beatitudes, Father. Help us to see this week where we need to learn, lean more into you, where we need to trust you more and recognizing you are doing a good work in us and that you're not done yet, Father. We love you and we praise you. It's in God's holy, Christ's holy name that I pray. Amen.